0: All right. Happy Tuesday, everyone. It's the final Tuesday in July, and we are back with another Learning Tech Talks where we are exploring the landscape of learning and workplace technology to get your questions answered. Today's going to be – I say this every week. It's going to be a fun one, as it always is. But today we're talking – so I'm joined by Leslie Caputo, and she's from Humu. And we're going to be talking about everything from personalization to behavior change to – measurement. I mean, any other topics you think we might hit on in the hour that we have, Leslie? Many more.
1: Insights, Many more. role of the manager, all the pain they're feeling. That's with true. Their day
0: out. You know what? There you go. I, I completely forgot the manager end too. So yeah, I, and again, we'll see how much we cover, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we're probably only going to get to scratch the surface by the time things are done. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, for those of you who are just joining in, let us know where you're joining from and why don't you kick us off with that one, Leslie? So where are you in the world right now?
1: Yes. Where am I in the world? I'm in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, It's about an hour outside of New York city. An ongoing joke here at Humu is that you might think I'm in a corporate office, but I actually have a phone booth in my home office. So I'm here for my phone booth
0: in your home office.
1: I do. It's amazing. It was an early pandemic uh, decision by my husband and I to make sure we didn't kill each other we're dueling conference okay. calls so.
0: i like so is it totally soundproof and everything completely soundproof it's great wow okay so we're and i see now you shouldn't you shouldn't have said this because now i'm curious so like do you have an office and then there's just like a phone booth for total private conversations that you go into or is this just like sitting in your living room no
1: it's not sitting in my living room yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. We have like a detached garage situation that we can divert into the home office okay. and we just plunked the okay. phone booth into it.
0: Okay. So the phone booth is in like detached garage, home office setup, but then there's like an yeah. area for dedicated, private, soundproofed conversations. That's right.
1: That's right. That's awesome.
0: Where do you yeah. find something like that even?
1: It's the same ones they supply to, like, the WeWorks of the world and the co-working spaces of the world. Early pandemic, they started doing just direct-to-consumer because they knew how many people needed, you know, quiet time, especially. I've got two kids under three, right? It can get okay. pretty um, noisy. noisy. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. That's odd. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I, I've seen... I've seen the ones where you can get like a shipping container. You can buy a shipping mini shipping container and they can send that. And that's like an actual home, but I haven't seen just like the private phone booth. That's, that's much more of a space saver option. I like it. It I'll
1: send you some pictures from the outside so you can see what it
0: looks like. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, I am where I always am in Waukesha, Wisconsin. This is the first time though, in three years that my background has actually changed. So my, my, Map of the United States is gone, and uh, I'm celebrating the big four zero today. So my Thank wife and I. kids, my my wife and kids surprised me and and uh, you know decorated my office today. Um, but so let's let's get into some of the conversation here on this. So you've uh, you've joined Humu. You told me you joined three years ago, which for a five year company, you were very much a veteran. So tell me a little bit about your background. And how like how did you end up over there what's what's the background that drew you there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am an organizational psychologist by background. I uh, got my degree at Teachers' College in Columbia and spent about five six years in consulting uh, with Aon for a while absolutely. on all things leadership development, um, all things talent strategy, did a lot of m a work, all things culture change. Um, worked with four, Fortune 500 companies on building out their learning strategies, developing programs, facilitating programs. So deep, deep in the change and learning space. Um, okay. And after some time, sort of grew weary of, um, you know, the the day in and day out of designing the same program, just with a different twist on it. and uh, Different competency
0: it, model. Different
1: <laughs> competency models. Yeah. Facilitating the program and feeling great in the moment, but then saying like, is this going to stick or what's going to happen when yeah. these people go back to work and um, really just wanted to get into the HR tech space because I felt like I wanted to see what scaling some of this sort of stuff looked like and how could I <laughs> be part of dr- driving behavior change at scale. And I learned about Humu um, founder is Laszlo Bach, former chief people officer of Google, obviously was a big follower of hers. I think most people in the people space are um, and had read his book work rules and just said, I want to, work for that company.
0: Want to work um, for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I think we're going to get, there's there's another t- topic that I have no doubt we will touch on, which is the scalability of some of this stuff, because yeah. I think that's one of the beauties of where technology is going is we've done some really cool stuff in our space for a long time, but the challenge, one of the biggest challenges is it works great if you got a small audience or a local group of folks, or maybe a little cohort you try and scale that to a large global multinational group of folks. And it's like, well, this just is not even feasible anymore. So we'll talk about that. So on that topic, so you're at Humu now, you've been there three years. You've probably seen the product change quite a bit, especially in those early years as it kind of gets its sea legs and, and gets out there. When people say, oh, you work for Humu, well, what's that? It's, I mean, because... You could, if you just heard the title, you might think of a lot of different things. You might think of like dairy products or, I mean, I I have no idea, right? It could be like a yoga brand or something, but like you say, all right, we're in the HR tech space. How do you describe what Humu is?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the way we describe it, our mission is to make work better and to make work better by making people better at work. Um, we're a behavior change technology, and we're all about delivering personal coaching moments in the flow of work that help managers and employees be their best selves and and show up um, at work. And we do that through a concept called nudges, which I can talk about a lot more.
0: All right, all right. Well, so we got we got hey, you got some of the great marketing buzzwords in there as well, <laughs> which is good because you've got flow of work, learning. Uh, we've said personalization. I think we've said yeah. behavior change. Um, and, and I think one of the big things we're going to get into as we get into it more is how you actually pull that off. Because I think one of the challenges for learning leaders, HR leaders right now is you look at what's happening just globally from a skill standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the manager piece. Organizations are languishing in a lot of different areas, and they're looking to solve some of this stuff. Um, but everybody's saying it, pulling it off is, is a wildly different thing. So how then let's talk a little bit about this. Cause one of the first things you hit on was kind of this whole, you were in the leadership development space, Mm -hmm. you were doing a lot of the kind of traditional leadership development and had this moment of, okay, but how do we make it stick? I think historically, and we, we kind of started ranting on this a little bit backstage, we can Mm -hmm. bring that stage to light. That is one of the challenges when we talk about, I mean, leadership development, but a lot of programs is there's a fair amount of passive education kind of content consumptions, knowledge transfer, but that actually transferring over to behavior change is often really a gap. So obviously you're trying to, well, let's do this first because I think this will get to it. You said nudges. Let's unpack that one first because how someone defines a nudge Maybe very different, and we probably should have some consistency on that.
1: Yes, yes, I totally agree. I was talking to a um, a prospective customer the other day, and they were like, you know, we love our learning programs, but it kind of feels like aromatherapy. Like we we spritz it in the room, and it smells nice, and people are like, this is lovely, but then it dissipates, and we're like. Well, what what was that, and and what happened? <laughs> is, is anything going to stick, right? And having you know designed and delivered programs for so long, I mean, I I feel that deeply. Um, and nudges are really a new way to think about learning. Uh, nudges okay. are based on Nobel Prize winning science, Cass Sunstein, Richard Thaler. There's a whole book called Nudge. Um, it's a it's a theory from behavioral economics, which is about altering the choice environment for people with the idea that people are well-intentioned. People want to do the right thing. They want to give their team members feedback. They want to coach their people. They want to collaborate with their peers. They just get really busy and overwhelmed and and don't always have time to do it or forget to do it. And so the idea of a nudge is this small intervention in the moment that matters that helps people follow through on the right decisions. And so part of our origin story here at Humu is that Laszlo Bach, our CEO, Chief People Officer of Google, formerly um, teamed up with Dr. Jesse Wisdom, who's our head of people science at Google, and experimented with bringing nudges into the workplace in a lot of different ways. So things like, if we want employees to be healthier, what if we move water to eye level in the fridge, micro kitchen fridges, and see if that makes them choose the water over the soda more. So not removing choice from employees, but altering the environment and making it easier for them to follow through, okay. or how do we put- reducing friction? To- Reducing friction, exactly. And so the whole premise behind Humu was, can we scale this through technology and make it about behavior at work by nudging people to follow through on those things? And so our technology platform is called the Nudge Engine. And what that is, is that we help-
0: Nudge Engine. I love it.
1: Habits, send these nudges to employees in their flow of work, whether that's Microsoft Teams or Slack or email or calendar. Um, to help them follow through on those actions, to put a feedback conversation on the books with their employee or to set okay. up a meeting to reach out to a peer.
0: Okay. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I think is important to highlight in what you said with this, because I've seen this in the space before where you you get into almost kind of turf wars of, you know, well, is it is it performance? Is it learning? You know, kind of this back and forth. And, and even what you just described there from a use case standpoint, it's, it's a both and type situation because if that well-intentioned person has no idea what to even do or how to do it, well, there is, a, there is a knowledge gap that exists and there is probably a need to say, hey, you don't even know what you don't know. So we need to help you kind of raise the bar in your knowledge space. But then there's that point of, I know what I need to do, <laughs> but the reality is I either just don't have time. I don't prioritize it. I just don't think of it. I mean, well, I just don't even get around to it. And I think that's, if I'm hearing you right, that's really what you're getting at is how do you first of all, figure out where those moments are? Because if Mm -hmm. I tell you go do this and it's not the right time, you're going to again, go, yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever. And then not get to it, but then also actually give you the nudge that you need to go. You're right there. I'm just going to kind of I just think of the water soda thing where it's like, you're picking a beverage, you're right here, right now. I'm just going to nudge you towards the one that's a little bit of a healthier option than the one right below it.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you you hit on a, a point that's really interesting about Humu, which is we're really the intersection between... Culture work in HR and learning work in HR, right? Yeah. Like, so we're defining the behaviors that we need our leaders, you know, it's like a modern competency modeling. We know the behaviors we need our leaders to do differently. We need our employees to do differently. Or we're, we're going through a culture transformation. And we need people to be innovating more, collaborating more. That work gets defined. And then it kind of gets dumped on the learning functions plate, which is like, help them go do this, help them go make this a reality. <laughs> Right. Do you have a program for that, right? Or the the big one I've been hearing lately is um, belonging. So many team leaders are getting data and hearing yeah. back like belonging is low on your team. People aren't feeling connected, and they're coming to the learning function saying, "Do you have a course for that?" And it's like, well, we kind of need to work on what's happening in the day to day, right? Rather right than course, wow. so how do we help people learn how to create a greater sense of belonging in the job in your next meeting? And that's what the nudges are meant to do. So imagine a scenario where um, we know from your calendar that you're getting ready for your one-to-one or your team meeting and a nudge shows up in your Microsoft Teams that says, hey, you know, at the start of your next team meeting, um, maybe leave the first five minutes open and just see what people surface, take a step back and and see if the quieter folks in the meeting, raise their hand with issues that you might not have heard otherwise, or, and the individual contributors are getting nudges saying, Hey, you know, in this meeting, um, if you find that you're typically the person that likes to sit back and wait to speak up more, maybe try like offering a comment up in the first couple of minutes of the meeting. And so the nudges are, you know, rallying around these moments that matter, these critical team meetings or manager employee one to one. And they're working in a complementary way so that employees are experimenting with new and different things. Managers are trying new and different things. And together, they're shifting the norms of how they work together. And step in many, by
0: step versus big, step huge, by step, monumental changes.
1: Minor actions. And really, I mean, it, it's like 70-20-10 model, right? Like on-the-job yeah. learning, the nudges are meant to unlock on-the-job learning.
0: Okay. Well, and what's interesting is I, I love the belonging one you brought up because- yeah. This is one of those ones where sometimes it's easier if you actually unpack a use case, because that is something where you'll go, you know what, and, and you'll get it from senior leaders or, you know, we're, we're belonging is a gap in this part of our organization. And yep. you can kind of look at it and go, uh, okay, okay, I mean... And granted that doesn't necessarily mean oh well there is no formal knowledge component cuz there is there's there's context setting why does this matter helping people understand that belonging has an impact to performance understanding those connections like there is that knowledge base of okay we need to build up people's overall awareness and cognitive level of what is belonging a consistent definition how do we know where that is and and what bad can impact that that's great but then to the point of well, I can send you to you know a workshop or give you a great pathway of content that brings your knowledge level up, but that's not necessarily going to ensure that when that one-on-one comes up, you go, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Five minutes in the beginning, if I do that, is actually going to tangibly move this forward.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so oftentimes we'll hear, well, wait, are you saying like, get rid of all my learning programs? And we're like, no, for all the reasons you just said, like, absolutely not. Those are great, right? You need that foundational knowledge, but we're here to help knit that ecosystem together and focus on the application piece and how to build habits out of some of these things. And that's really where the niches play best.
0: So let me ask you this, because this is one of the things that I think sometimes can present a challenge to getting to this point. And I'm guessing. Given how much sp- time you spend in this space, you can help with it. But I'm curious because I will tell you as a learning leader, one of the things that historically is a challenge when working with stakeholders or working with business partners, things like that, is a lot of times people don't think in terms of behaviors. Mm-hmm. They, just, they just really don't. They think in terms of competency or, or kind of big level thing. You know, People are bad at communication. We need to improve their communication. right. And like, what are those behaviors and where do we see them? How, how have you helped or how do you help people get to that? Because that bridging that gap sometimes presents a huge challenge because people in their head know, well, we're not doing this thing very well. But if I actually had to surgically break that down into, well, what are the actual behaviors you're trying to drive? That's a, that's a completely different conversation.
1: Oh, my goodness. This is my favorite question ever. Like, Last <laughs> question ever, because surgically breaking that town down is exactly what my team here does at Humu. So I lead okay. our solution consulting team. And so we go out and talk to prospective customers and customers all day long about what are you trying to change? Like, what are your yeah. problems right now? Is it that um, you need to get drugs to you know, out faster, accelerate the pipeline? Is it that you need to get new products out faster? And then we understand from them. Okay. And so what do employees need to be doing differently to help you execute on that business strategy? Right. And so then typically you're able to get those high level competencies. Well, we need to streamline decision-making. We need to um, share information more broadly across the organization. And then they sort of stall, right? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just
0: like you hit a wall. It's like, That can be a big wall for folks.
1: And so what we have and really kind of the brain that powers the nudge engine is this behavioral taxonomy that looks at, okay, okay, what are the big picture things that you're trying to drive? And then in the nudge engine, we break that down into behavioral themes. So if a company says, you know what, Leslie, it's really about innovation for us, I'm going to say, okay, behavioral themes are around innovation. It's going to be cross-functional collaboration. It's going to be increasing transparency. It's going to be adaptability in the face of change. And then we plug that into the nudge engine. And that's where all the amazing machine learning AI comes in. That then maps to... Um, Hundreds of specific behaviors, things like, okay, we want to focus on more experimentation. Well, that involves um, building an environment of psychological safety, admitting failures to your team, creating an opportunities for your team to surface failures and talk about learnings based on those failures, right? What are those more discrete behaviors that we need to do differently? And then the nudge engine has thousands and thousands of nudges. This is content, right? But these micro actions that we recommend that are mapped to those behaviors. And so when we work with companies, my team's job is to go through this kind of more consultative process of building that pool of nudges. And then we surface from that pool of nudges based on all the data we have from your HRIS system. Are you, what team are you on? are you a leader? Are you a manager of managers? Are you a first line manager? And that allows us to say, okay, what's the appropriate psychological safety nudge for a leader of a team in Connecticut who has a team that's struggling with sense of belonging? And that's how we're able to service right content for the right people at the right time.
0: So what I love, so, so two things as, as you hit on that, you know, I think first of all, one, I think there's tremendous opportunity to even just do that to to make sure we're doing that no matter what. And, and that's applicable whether we're talking about Humu or just in yeah. general as kind of right. performance consultants is taking the time to not stop at that competency level. Because a lot of times it, that's where it ends. It's, it's well, you know what, we need to, yeah, it goes from this ethereal business goal to this competency. And then we just stop instead of taking it one more level of, right, but what actually makes that up? But I think what what you're getting at that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong is that can feel overwhelming yes. and, and not scalable. And I think sometimes that's where well-intentioned learning leaders want to, it's not that they go, Oh, I don't care about the behaviors. It's well, good grief. We've got so many different dynamics. The thought of getting that surgical with these things just feels like an impossible task which again then you go well we'll just we'll just do the 80% cast the widest net hope hopefully we capture it yeah. and it sounds like really what you're doing is is twofold one you're doing you're helping kind of drive that because you're doing this across tons of organizations so you have a lot more data points exactly. but you're also relying on machine learning and that's helping basically process enough information that no human could in any period of time
1: Correct. And that's where the personalization and prioritization comes okay. in. So the other kind of, you know, challenge with some conventional learning approaches, as you hear, OK, belonging's a problem. But what's specifically about belonging is a problem? Well, on the marketing team, it's probably a whole lot different than on the R&D team. Yeah. Right? And so by by understanding the behaviors that drive belonging, but then taking in data that says, OK, exactly what's going on with belonging and marketing versus R&D, then we can target learning content more effectively. So, hey, in marketing, they're working on psychological safety to drive belonging. But over here in R&D, it's actually more about like emotional connection and doing more social things as a team together. And that way we okay. can get a lot more targeted in our interventions rather than just putting out blanket, you know, belonging modules.
0: Okay. And not, well, and it sounds like because of the tech, this isn't a manual process. Some Cause because just even that example, I mean, we you only just talked about two separate functions. Right. But then you start talking about the regionalization of these functions. Well, what it is R&D in China versus R&D in Europe versus the U.S. is probably wildly different. It's probably different in Connecticut than it is in Wisconsin, which can be, again, just an overwhelming level of personalization, which is why a lot of in my opinion, without tech, it's impossible.
1: Yeah. Oh, and hey, by the way, then think about like the geographical and cultural differences in, in learning content, which is a huge pain point for learning, right? And so for us, one of the things that's incredibly cool about the nudges is that they are translated into over 20 different languages, but not just translated, they're transcreated. So when we know from the H R I S data that you are a manager in China, when we're going to send nudges about feedback, that we're going to account for things like the power dynamics and the cultural nuances that account for that. So that we're making sure that we're focused on what feedback Means and how to get it right for you specifically, as opposed to hey, manager over there in Austin, where we know feedback is a lot different.
0: Well, yeah, I w- the example you used is just a perfect one because if you were to take feedback you deliver to somebody, and again, you know, or generalizing, but someone who's in Manhattan and then tried to tell the same thing to somebody in Japan, yeah. You would likely get a very different result if you just said, do the same thing in these two environments. In fact, that's one right. might be really good and in another, it might be catastrophic.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay. So I am curious because you've now, you know, five years in the space, you've been there three, you've you you've seen this kind of take off through the pandemic, which I have to imagine in some ways has accelerated things. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the insights that have come out of that in terms of behaviors? Because I have to imagine the amount of data you're seeing in terms of behaviors that really do make a difference or behaviors that really matter. Are there any that have come out that either have surprised you or you've gone, wow, I didn't think about it that way? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the, the the pandemic certainly accelerated everything for Humu. I mean, think about like I would imagine most learning so. professionals saying, God, like, how are we going to bring this learning into the digital space and how are we going to have the same reach and and really reimagining what learning in this more digital space looks like? And we definitely saw key themes in the beginning. It was a real focus on resilience and well-being, um, looking for different ways to not just kind of throw more well-being programs at their people. But how do we think about fundamentally shifting uh, a manager's mindset about how to support their team through well-being? Or how do we help employees draw better boundaries around well-being? So that was really topical at the beginning of the pandemic. and, And now more recently, we're seeing a lot around adaptability psychological safety which i've mentioned a few times mm-hmm. i do not talk yeah. to a single company that does not say psychological safety is a top behavioral area that they're working on right now because it's so key to building stronger teams to fueling innovation um but yeah. the biggest thing that's come out more recently is just a tremendous focus on the manager, um, and really this this data that just shows us that managers are having the sandwich effect, right? So like the top down, there's all these big transformation goals, and we need you to be at the front, on the front lines, of bringing this transformation forward to our employees and getting them to do new and different behaviors. And then you've got the managers being like, I'm drowning. I can barely even give feedback. I and can barely
0: get to the end podcasts. of the day
1: end of the day. Right. And so for us really doubling down on managers um, is where we're at right now and giving them more support around how to be a great manager in this crazy new world that we're all in.
0: Okay. And try well. And I can see where some of these, yeah, I, just, just one example that comes to mind and you tell me if I'm way off, but I just even think of this whole workplace flexibility, you know, and what is that, how do you navigate that as a manager yeah. Um, especially if you're a new manager and you've historically only managed people in proximity to you. And now your team's probably split across different countries or probably some are working from home this day, that day. You may have senior leaders that are telling everybody, we want you all in the office. Yeah. Your employees are going, I, I haven't for two years. Why should I have to come back at all? And the manager's the one stuck in the middle going, I really have no idea how to even navigate this and uh, a workshop on leading, you know, the hybrid workforce, it might give me some ground level knowledge base, but this is not helping me necessarily navigate how to actually run my team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the real pain around belonging is coming from right now is like, that's the okay. symptom of these managers trying to navigate this new world with these dispersed teams and them feeling out of control about having a connected team, their team members not feeling connected. And and that's where I think this manager push of, I need a belonging program or I need belonging support is coming from.
0: Okay. OK, so with this then, because I am curious, you know, as as you maybe look at this, because I'm, I'm just thinking even just tactically speaking, um, you know, as you as when people engage with this type of thing, is this something typically that you see people, you know, I think of some HR tech where you think just big enterprise, you kind of throwing it out to the masses. Others are more point solutions targeted at, well, we're, we're trying to hit this specific audience. How have you seen you know, success and maybe it's both ways, but I'm just curious how do organizations kind of approach this? Cause this can be a big shift. If you're, if you're going from an organization that has historically just relied on kind of a traditional L and D approach, and now you're looking at making this shift. We talked about the fact it's not a stop doing what you're doing and just completely turn the ship, yeah. but it is a bit of a shift uh, where do organizations start with that because if they're if they're at ground zero with behavior or thinking about behaviors that can that can feel overwhelming
1: yeah yeah absolutely well we take a lot of time with companies in the beginning to say like what are the big things you're trying to solve for and we go through that exercise of saying you know what behaviors do you need to see employees start, stop, continue? And then we come with a recommendation of how we align the nudges to what you're already doing. So we learn about what you're doing in your learning strategy, what are your big learning goals? And then we think about how to plug Humu in as a piece to that strategy to really be that connection piece um, and to really kind of shape the broader learning ecosystem for employees, but we position it to employees as it's for them, right? So so okay. the platform is leveraged by, you know, HR and learning professionals. But at the end of the day, we are a coach for employees and managers to help them. And in some
0: great. ways you're kind of like a little AI coach in, in some regards.
1: That's right. Yeah. Personal virtual coach that's there to help the employees be better. Um, and if it's helpful, I can even pull up a nudge and just kind of show you what that nudge looks like. So you can see that, well, it might sound, um, you know, it might sound like a, a novel Super approach. Super
0: complicated. <laughs>
1: but it's complicated. The way yeah. it actually um, shows up. Let me know if, if that's coming through.
0: Yep. Um, yeah.
1: The way it actually shows up to employees is really simple. So here's an example of a nudge. Leo, he's a director of operations, would get. Leo's company is working on psychological safety, among other themes, and so he got a nudge that said, "Host a hard lesson session." Imagine this came through in his inbox in his team's account. Um, you know today invite your team or subgroup to a meeting dedicated to lessons learned the hard way. Share some instances where you've grown from a mistake and invite them to share any struggles that made them professionally stronger. So simple recommendation for action that Leo can read as he heads into his next meeting contains the why so we give people more grounding and why is this an important behavior to practice. And then here, as, we, as I talk about kind of knitting that learning ecosystem together, we can link out to any resources that a company has okay. or part of their broader. So like you said, in the belonging example, if, if companies have a whole set of learning around why is belonging important, how does it fuel performance, we can drive those consistencies with your learning content. But the idea okay. is just simple coaching so that Leo looks at this, he goes into his next meeting, he tries something differently with his team. That's the application piece.
0: Now I'm, I'm thinking in terms of this, cause I'm thinking from a integration standpoint, so how you would get to that. So going back to that one that, that pops up, let's say you've mm-hmm. got this, you know, one example of something hard, host of hard lessons. Um, would this be something? Cause again, I'm thinking, you know, the term that's also probably thrown around a lot in our industry is micro learning. So, yeah. you know, we've got nudges, behaviors, micro learning, this and that. Um, so in essence, would this be something that it's looking at maybe Leo's calendar and it's, saying you've got, it's detecting there's a team meeting coming up. And so it's, it's almost kind of pushing Leo saying you have a team meeting coming up. Here's something that you may be able to do to kind of drive, to try and drive this behavior. Is that how that's actually ending up in Leo's queue?
1: Sometimes yes so we can do calendar integrations It's okay. something we're doing more and more of um doesn't have to be some companies are creeped out by calendar integrations that's totally well, fine. We'll talk
0: about that. We'll <laughs> talk about that next. <laughs>
1: um, but we know that Leo is going to have team meetings right and he's going to have them every week and so if he gets this nudge in his inbox that week chances are he's going to put something into practice in his in his next meeting there and I think okay. so micro learning definitely I think the slight twist on Humo and nudges is is oftentimes micro learning can just be a snippet of information right like here's why belonging is yeah
0: important. it's not necessarily actionable it's it's more exactly. here's a knowledge nugget here's something that you know whatever
1: exactly exactly Uh, And then you see it. There's a feedback loop in here. I plan to do this. We might say, do you already do this? And that feeds our algorithm. That's where Leo starts engaging. And we say, that's what I
0: was going to ask. Is that your feedback loop then to kind of see, Hey, if we're pushing this, if we're pushing this out consistently to this audience and all of them are saying, yeah, no, like we're not going to do that. Is that then feeding back your algorithm to kind of go, I don't know that this is necessarily the most relevant type of nudge for people.
1: Yes, exactly. Maybe Leo really does well with more hard hitting nudges that are like, hey, you better go do this thing. Or maybe he does really well with reflecting. Some
0: people need a slap in the face. Others need kind of a gentle push.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was really funny. Early, early days at Humu, um, when we had many different writers and all of our nudges are written by people scientists, they leverage the latest and greatest research. We had nudges that I was like, I know who wrote that nudge because it was very hard hitting and this person's a lot softer. And um, we've thought about with personalization, even experimenting with things in the future, like different coach voices, right? Like, do you like those hard hitting nudges? Or do you want something more reflection based? Algorithm can, Can pick up on those things and improve over time.
0: Okay. And that's what I was going to ask is, is there, what what degree of input does an end user have on some of that to be able to kind of say, and now again, I think there's some cautionary tales to this because how people's (laughs) self-awareness, the Dunning-Kruger effect kicks in big time, where it's like, I know exactly what I need. And it's like, well, you actually might not, but I am curious, what kind of input does a user have in terms of like, what kind of nudges they want? what kind of frequency so that this thing isn't bugging them all the time, telling them to do uh, what, you know, what feels like good grief. I'm just trying to get through the day and I've got a to-do list of way too much stuff. How do you balance that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, bunch of different things in that question. So they have some degree of control over what they get nudged on. They can go in and say, You know, I really want to focus on working on giving feedback or on improving, you know, team morale. Um, Kind of the menu of options that they have is based on what we've aligned with the organization that we're working on. So they're not really really picking anything; they're aligned to the learning goals that the organization. Okay, so the
0: organization organization kind of says, "Here's some of the most important things we want to grow." Going back to, I just even think the skills challenge that organizations are facing, where they go, "You know what?" While we'd love everybody to develop on what they want to develop at the end of the day to get our business moving, we really need to focus here. So you're kind of separating the wheat from the chaff in that standpoint and then allowing them some flexibility to say, of these really important things, which ones are most important to you?
1: That's right. And then we start to layer in tons of other data. So then the HRIS comes in. that's helping us contextualize the nudges because we know that you do a lot of project-based work. We know that you're in X geography. We know what level you are. We know we're even nudging um, frontline workers. We've got manufacturing employees. We've got truck drivers, right? So we're even taking in HRS information about the type of work this employee is doing to make sure that we're not nudging, you know, a manufacturing employee about their next one-to-one because they don't have a one-to-one. They have a pre-shift meeting. And so that's how we contextualize the nudges. That's where all the data comes in. And then you can even layer survey data on top of that. So if you have like a manager effectiveness data or you have an engagement survey and you want to use that data to tune the nudges, We can do that so that if, hey, if your biggest problem is engagement and retention, as it is for so many companies right now, and you need managers to get better at whatever is the top driver of engagement for their team, then we can use survey data to make sure that, you know, Chris's team is focused on these behaviors and Leslie's team is focused on these behaviors to maximize what's going to move the needle on retention most for those teams. Okay.
0: well, and and I want to I want to go in a new direction or a different direction slightly here because I have some questions on this. But I think as I think about one of these things, um, I just think about the shift. And actually, in August, I'm probably going to do a solo cast to talk about this, because this is actually changing fundamentally the skills and behaviors that even people in our field need Mm. to focus on. Because if you think about it, perhaps historically, a lot of time would have been spent by our teams actually building those things that you showed on the screen, right? Yes. Like trying to get the right little like nudge thing and creating the cute little design around what that is and making sure that it's getting in front of you. And now we're saying, we don't need you spending as much time on that because that's being done elsewhere. But some of the things you just described, how far you go with personalization is really dependent on how strategically and how much you're leaning in as an L&D or HR leader on, all right, well, how do we want to think about this? How are we connecting what's going on in the business to what the people are doing and things like that and being able to tailor and tweak what you're doing versus just turning it on and going, all right, people picked a couple general things and we're just going to assume that's good enough. Now let's just go back to creating, you know, some of our other stuff. That's a fundamental skill shift.
1: fundamental skill shift that I think is so critical right now, which is better business strategy with learning strategy. And the other thing that you got at, and I'm going to pull something up here to show you is uh, if we learned one thing from the pandemic, it's that we can't spend, you know, tons of time trying to get the content perfect only to realize that the content is then stale six months later
0: because
1: something, you know, drastic, drastically different happens in the business. And so one of the other things that our platform does is it actually puts the learning professionals and the HR professionals in the driver's seat. Um, So are you seeing a screen? I was going to ask.
0: Yeah, I was going to, I was actually going to ask about this because I was like, I'm curious the role you may play because I can see, I can see organizations or L&D leaders going, well, it's close, but there's some organizational cultural nuances that aren't necessarily accounted for right
1: nuances that aren't accounted for or like yeah we thought we were focused on these six you know competencies or big behaviors but guess what like now we're going through a reorg and we need to focus on empowering our leaders to better know how to lead through change and so that's where i mean i could
0: there's perfect examples of this where maybe you're divesting part of the company or maybe you are acquiring you have an m a now coming in and you're going Uh, our core strategy is still the same, but now on top of this, we need to think about integration of this other company we just purchased and acquired into our current workflow that can fundamentally change some of your priorities.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so if you're seeing this screen here that says boost nudges, um, that's where we put, you know, our customers in the driver's seat to say, Hey, you curate learning content to your people and boost nudges. If for example, you know, all of a sudden in London, there's this massive reorg, and we know that these people are really struggling to cope with it.
0: Okay. So it's even, even at the drop of a hat, if there's a change that you know is about to hit your org, which I'm just thinking even change management in an org, which yep. typically and historically has not been well executed. You know, people find out and it's just like, hey, this is happening. Good luck. And that's the end. Maybe by the time somebody gets around to creating some content, it's like, well, that's kind of too sailed. late. Like I'm not, yeah, ship has sailed. Where this, in almost more real time, you can say, we know this shift just hit. How do we actually push out some support resources or some things that are actionable versus just like, hey, here's a knowledge nugget. Okay, great. But what am I supposed to do?
1: Exactly. 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 Okay.
0: Well, and that, and that does, going back to what we were talking about, that it changes the role, but I almost feel like that puts the work that we would be doing in almost a higher order strategic business partner role versus tactical executioner of, hey, can you go create a job aid for this new rollout that we're doing? Instead, you're saying, let's ask the questions of, well, what is the rollout? Who's impacted by this? What behaviors might be impacted by this change? And now you're saying, well, we don't need to spend our time on this other stuff. Let's spend our time on this so we can actually drive the change forward.
1: Exactly right. And if resources do exist that you invest the time and energy to, how do we make sure we get people there to them more quickly? And part of that is intervening in the moments that matter, giving them a quick recommendation for action, directing them to more supporting content if they need to go deeper on how to lead through change in an M&A scenario, right? But the best way to do it is to intervene in the flow of work.
0: Okay. Well, and to some degree, you let me know, but I'm just even, again, I, I tend to end up going to like use case, business use casing, but I'm even thinking almost reverse engineering this to a, you know, a major change is happening. There can sometimes be a disconnect from the Crystal Palace to the front lines, yes. you can almost push nudges to managers driving specific kinds of conversations because you may not wanna wait for your annual or quarterly culture survey to figure out how are people doing with this change? Well, you can push a nudge to start organically gathering some of that input from people to say, well, how are they doing? Are they struggling? Are they doing okay? So that you can then prioritize, do we need to lean in more resources? Do we need to change strategic priorities To meet this need because we know it's a gap.
1: Exactly. And that's where managers are so important, right? And being the link between. And um, one of the new features we're getting ready to roll out that I am so excited by is all the research tells us the most critical leverage point a manager has is one-to-ones, right? And so calendar integration, when we know a manager's one-to-one is coming up, we have a new tool that's coming out as part of the platform that helps them collaborate on a one-to-one agenda with their direct report. But we actually can feed the nudges into that one-to-one agenda. So as I go in with my team, I'm putting things that I want to talk to one of my team members, Eddie, about, and all of a sudden there's a nudge right there in my agenda that said, Hey, talk to Eddie about how he's feeling about this change. And back to this notion of nudges, like people are well intentioned. Kn- I know I should ask Eddie how he feels about this change, but sometimes I'm there plugging in my items about projects and milestones. And I, just and cre- I don't get to them, it. And I don't get to it. But then the nudge is right there in my one to one agenda, and I do it. And yeah. there's a change as a result, right? So. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Well,
0: and, I, and again, I just think how sometimes these things turn into, it can feel threatening to the way things are done, but in many ways it's not because even in that example of one-to-ones, and this is very personal for me, but I mean, I just think in some orgs where we've had to work on, have we set expectations with leaders that one-to-ones is part of your job, that that is part of your job? Well, there's a whole learning opportunity around that of saying, we need to set context and expectations around what's expected. Then you can layer this on to say, okay, but now what makes a good one-on-one? Well, I don't know, or I don't remember from that knowledge exercise that I did. Well, great. Don't worry about it. We're pushing these nudges right into the flow to say, remember, based on what's going on right now, you really need to ask about this because XYZ just happened, or this is going on in the org, and you really need to just pulse the team so that it's a better one-on-one.
1: Yes. Right. How do we make it easier for more managers to be good managers, right? It's a really hard job. And so how do we support them in that?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I had a conversation this week about this, where a lot of times part of the challenge is (laughs) how good a manager is, is, is literally just based on how, what they've experienced before and how good they are at kind of figuring things out. And that's an inconsistent experience, which as an organization, that is not something you want to be inconsistent. You do not want your manager strategy to be well. It just kind of depends on who's in the role. We don't really know.
1: But I'm having more of those conversations with customers than ever before. Like the classic, what got you here won't get you there. You know, people are promoted based on technical talent more, it's just an evergreen problem. And I'm just having more conversations. Like we need to go back to basics on managers. Yeah. We need to really help with the foundational skills.
0: No, there's, there is no short of, of assumptions made that, Oh, just people know this. And I think sometimes in our field, especially it happens because we're around it so much. Yeah. Our assumption of where the bar is, is often a lot higher than where the actual bar for the average frontline manager is where it's like, they don't know all these things we talk about on a daily, weekly basis. To them, they're like, huh? I just am making sure people show up to work and get their <laughs> job done. I like that's what I think I'm doing.
1: Right. And now I'm responsible for belonging. Like helping right. belonging.
0: Out- like, I don't even know what that means. Like, right. of course you belong here. I'm paying you every couple of weeks. Like, right. what do you think you right? And I can see where people would just go, I I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. So I am curious about this though, because you you brought this up about. Kind of some of the uh, about calendar integrations and all this. yeah and I'm curious where things are at with that because I, I I talk a fair amount about kind of the whole ethics line that we walk of like well, how much how much integration is too much integration type of a thing. I'm a big believer that the more integration the better, right hook me up to whatever and then help me through the day if you can. But I also know that that's not always the case. And honestly, we talk about psychological safety and trust. If organizationally that's not there, that can contribute to inhibiting the ability to do this integration because people don't trust it. Like you're looking at my calendar. Why? What are you going to do with that information? Am I going to start getting notifications about what is this meeting? Things like that. Are you seeing companies and even the workforce as they become more aware of kind of what's happening with data? Are they leaning more towards a comfort with some of this? Are they leaning away? Is it really dependent on how the organization approaches? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, it totally varies by company. I think that um, for us, we've made a strong you know, stance that it's it's optional to integrate with Calendar okay. because in environments of low psychological safety, we, will, we don't wanna have the big brother effect. So we can operate yeah. in an environment where the only data we're using to personalize the nudges is based on like core things about where you sit, what level you are, right. Just to make sure the nudges are contextualized. But at the same time, I'm seeing an increasing appetite for the integrations. And the reason is there's just so much noise in the system. The companies are like, how do I tell me about the flow of work? And like, how do I ensure timeliness in the flow of work? And how do I break through all the other crap to make sure that I am making, reaching my employee right before they have their one-to-one so I can make sure they follow through this on this action right and so for that reason i think we're going to see more and more appetite for timeliness of content which requires more data and integrations
0: okay well and i think you know my experience has been it it really is one about that trust level in the organization how much you know how have you set the expectations of trust are you you an organization that trusts your employees and they feel trusted so that when you do this they go oh yeah it's for my benefit but you even think about the power of it I mean, you look at how many tools we use for digital communication now. I, I, I just even think of Grammarly. I mean, I use Grammarly all the time, even just reading my tone. Like every yeah. email I send, it's like, ah, little bit harsh. Dial it back. And you're like, oh, okay. There's a perfect nudge of like the way you wrote that. Yeah. May not. So if you really do get to a fully integrated environment where let's say you're using O365 and you have full integration to... Who are you communicating with? What are you saying? How are the conversations going? The potential is huge. But I think, I think, like you said, we've, we've got a little ways to go before one, there's that comfort level yeah. and then even the governance around, well, who has access to that and what are they doing with it? And you know, how are people kind of in control of their own data and are they?
1: Exactly. And that's what comes back to us with employees saying like, who moves meant for you? It's a personal coach to help you work better. Sometimes companies say to me, well, how can I track that they completed each and every note <laughs> that they get? And I'm like, but that's not the point, right? So first of all, like we're yeah. not tracking micro actions. We're nudging people in the right direction. And then eventually we're going to say, hey, do you feel a greater sense of belonging in your team? Is your manager checking in on you more? And that's how you know we're making progress, right? But we're not trying to big brother track that you completed every single nudge. Okay. Um that's just not productive and it's not... Accessible. Well, and I
0: think the fact you call that out though, because I think for folks who may be thinking of this kind of approach, whether 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 whom or whatever you're trying to do, I yeah. think that's a really important message is the fact that how you approach this can impact the effectiveness of it. Because if this feels like an obnoxious list that's being policed and it's like, oh, hey, you have X number of nudges that you haven't completed in you know, the last... Pretty soon, people are going to go, This isn't helping me. This is actually annoying me because I didn't find it helpful, which is why I didn't do it. And now I've got to follow up on a list. And I think that is something we have to be careful about in setting expectations and how we think about it. Because if it is truly for them, there is a little bit of, I have to let go of control and go, You have to have a little bit of autonomy to say what I am or I'm not going to do. And I'm not going to, come after you with a stick because you didn't agree or follow the nudges that we push towards you.
1: Exactly. And and that is really core to how we think about the platform, because if we do that, people aren't going to use it. And to us, we need no. employees to love it and use it. And so um, we actually have product engagement rate. Our benchmark is 70% engagement with nudges. That means people are consistently okay. reading them, consistently opening them. I think the benchmark for kind of learning content that's pushed out in a format no, like lower a, than that. 20. Yeah. So we have really high engagement because we're so mindful about this. Sometimes people say, this would be super helpful for performance management. Can you ping our managers to complete their performance evaluation forms? No, I'm not going to do that. I'll nudge them on how to get better feedback. I'll nudge them on how to you know, adopt a growth mindset or t- think about career opportunities. But this is for them to support them in their skills and development. This isn't meant to be a nagging bird on their shoulder.
0: Okay. We have enough platforms in yeah. place in the ecosystem right now to manage that. If it's yeah. if it's make sure you get your, you know, annual review done. Let Workday keep sending you reminders about that or your HR team send out things like. But I like the point that you brought up with that is It's not that those are necessarily bad. I mean, performance reviews are important. So let those systems do that. But don't start blurring the line and going, hey, we have a new tool that people are engaging with. Let's ruin it by slamming a bunch of, you know, mandatory notifications in there. But instead, this goes back to that conversation of thinking about behaviors of, well, if performance reviews are happening right now, maybe we might even get better compliance if we reduce the friction of, what are some of the things maybe why people aren't doing it? Well, maybe they have to have a tough conversation and they're not really sure how to approach it. So maybe if we approach some of the behaviors on how to have those things, maybe they'll get done naturally because people won't be so scared to do it.
1: No, to do it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Okay.
0: okay. So what is, you know, I'm just thinking about something like this. A lot of times when you think about kind of the approach, it can feel like overwhelming to go, oh my goodness, the enterprise and all this kind of stuff when you work with an organization, what does kind of a timeline, even, and again, I know that that's a, that can be as big as the ocean is wide, but I mean, is this something that's like multi-year? Is this something that's several months and are people doing it at big enterprise or do they tend to focus and say, Hey, let's start and prove this concept out a little bit before we go big?
1: Yeah. So we work with fortune 10 enterprises and we work with, you know, smaller, more mid-market companies and, Platform functionality differs based on kind of what those different companies yeah. need. It's actually incredibly easy to get up and running. So it's okay. like a six week implementation. This is not like a massive oh, wow. work implementation. It takes us six weeks to get it up and running. Um, but we do want longer runway because we're in the behavior change game. So we're not trying yeah. to do like behavior doesn't change prior. in six weeks, right? And so the analogy I always get my customers is like, hey, you're trying to improve your health. If we are nudging you and all of a sudden you're eating more salads, that's behavior change. But you're not going to see the number go down on the scale for a period of time, right? To see the outcome, the impact. Right.
0: Three weeks in, you're not going to suddenly be at your ideal weight.
1: Right. Yeah. So typically we work with companies, two, three year um, contract terms to really like move the needle on the areas that they're trying to move the needle on.
0: Well, and that, and I think what you're getting at, and I think that makes sense is there is some like short-term, hey, in terms of kind of a ground layer, like let's get this thing working, yeah. that can be done relatively quickly. But like any, and and to be fair, I think this is one of the things that there's a lot of opportunity, even around expectation setting and some of these behavior change takes time. Yeah, You know, a lot of times there's this idea of like, well, next quarter, we, the end of the month, we got to do this kind of thing. And you've got to be thinking in terms of, two, three, maybe even five year kind of thinking out of like, what are the big behaviors that we have to be predicting so we can start nudging people towards those now? And I guess this last question, this is probably, I shouldn't bring this up at the end and I have a whole bunch more, but we won't get into it in terms of being able to demonstrate and measure impact. You know, this is one of the things that there's a lot of things out there. Hey, it's going to change the world. It's going to make your life better. It's going to make everything better. How do people basically quantify, here's what we're actually accomplishing, what we set out to do. How do people do that?
1: Yeah, that's my favorite topic. And we could do a whole hour on that topic, but
0: (laughs) maybe that's next time.
1: But the short answer is it depends what they're trying to change and then what data do we have on those outcomes? So some examples for you, we've seen um, in call centers, we've been able to increase productivity by 8% through nudges. We looked at for a big company we're working with the other day, they're focused on just making people work better. And so we looked at product engagement stats and found that six months pre and post nudges, Employees who were much more active on the platform were significantly more likely to have moved up from one performance rating bucket to the next. That effect was even stronger amongst low performers moving up, and it was the strongest amongst managers who moved up one performance bucket to the second after six months of nudges. So whether it's performance, whether it's productivity metrics, whether it's reducing attrition, we have case studies to prove out the impact of nudges on all those things.
0: Okay. Well, like I said, we we actually probably could spend an entire hour just yeah. on this topic like tearing through use cases, but I think one of the things that you really highlighted that is I'm glad you I'm glad you went this way because I probably would have pushed back on it. But it is this kind of it depends. What are yeah. we trying to accomplish? There isn't I think sometimes we want this, you know, top 10 list of here's the metrics we're going to change in an organization versus I don't know. What are you trying to do as a business? Like, where are you right now? What are you struggling with? Let's nail those things down. Going back to the process we talked about at the beginning of the show of here's your big rocks. What do those look like at the competency level? Let's figure out what those behaviors are. Well, then let's nudge those behaviors over time. We'll watch to see if it affects the competencies, which overall, maybe that'll affect the big business change. And then we decide, did it do what we wanted it to do? We'll define that as part of the process.
1: Right. If you're telling me you want a strawberry banana smoothie, we need strawberries and bananas and to nudge on strawberries and bananas to then measure if we made you a strawberry banana smoothie. And so that's the process that my team goes through and how we can figure it
0: out. I I love that because I I I don't I don't think I've had one in years, but I, I I used to drink Jamba Juice all the time. So strawberry banana smoothie actually sounds delicious. Maybe I'll have to find one here locally and go get a birthday smoothie. <laughs> or the or something birthday like that. Treat. yeah right. But I mean, it is that's exactly what we're talking about. And I think sometimes when we have this measurement conversation, we make it out to be more complicated than it is. And it's not that, and that's not to say it's easy. Right. That's, I think, the part where people can go. So you're saying measurements. No, not saying it's easy to change things and improve things. That's a lot of work. But figuring out what are we trying to do and then defining what are the little changes we need to make? And then we go, well, did we do it or did we not? It's a yes or no question. And if we didn't, we just go back and go, well, then let's redefine what we thought was going to change it. And then we'll just try that again. And it's it's just this cycle of experimentation.
1: Yes, that's right exactly. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I, I'm just getting warmed up, but yeah. but we're at the top of the hour. So I'm actually, before we open up another can of worms and go down that path, I'm going to wrap us for this one. But Leslie, this has just been a phenomenal conversation. Um, I know I was excited to get a chance to learn a little bit more about Humu. I've been following what Laszlo has been doing since leaving Google and uh, sounds like he's doing some exciting things, taking things from from knowledge to behavior and practice. So I appreciate you making the time and uh, thanks everybody for joining. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And uh, Leslie, this probably won't be our last conversation.
1: I hope not. Thank you so much and happy birthday.
0: All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye everybody.